Welcome to Awake the Future. I'm Adam Weiss. The night she arrived at the safe house, Adrian and I finally had some real time to ourselves. As we got to know each other that night, we both expressed feeling a strange connection between us. It felt like we had known each other for years, even though we had barely just met. I suppose it makes sense to feel this way about someone you have known across multiple lifetimes. Adrian told me about her childhood. She was an only child, raised by her father, after her mom died when she was just seven years old. There was a year between when her mother was diagnosed with cancer and when she passed away. Adrian said she remembers that year vividly, watching her mother progressively weaken and decline. She says it was during that year that she became all too familiar with death. Since then, she's always felt like death is something she carries with her every day. It may be why she is more or less comfortable being an assassin. Adrian said she didn't have a lot of friends growing up and preferred to spend time with her dad. He was a police officer and Adrian was really close with him. He shaped her life in a way that made her want to either join the military or go into law enforcement. He encouraged her to go to college first, where she studied criminal justice and international relations. During the summer before her senior year of college, tragedy struck Adrian's family again when her father was killed in the line of duty. Adrian said she lost both her father and her best friend when he died. She didn't know if she'd be able to finish college, but persevered, knowing that it was what her father wanted for her. A few months before she graduated, she received a recruitment letter from the CIA, and she joined without hesitation. Adrian said that major life decisions like joining the CIA presented themselves as obvious choices for her. The path was clear in her mind and in her heart. I had a similar feeling about how my life unfolded. Things like deciding where to go to college and what career to choose presented themselves as if they were the one and only clear choice. When either of us encountered a fork in the road of life, we both knew which route to choose. It was as though we were on a fixed path that went in only one direction. I struggle with this concept, not knowing how much free will I have, feeling that sometimes my decisions don't matter because my life has already been mapped out. At the same time, I realize that the outcome isn't predetermined. So while the board may have been set a certain way, it's still up to me and Adrian to make sure we follow through with the right moves to bring about the best outcome. Adrian asked me how I felt about her being an assassin. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? She asked. Honestly, I said, I don't know. In some ways it makes me feel more comfortable in the situation we find ourselves, but if we ever were to settle down into a normal life, I may have a different perspective. She nodded. It doesn't change how I feel about you, though, I said. The sense of connection I have with you goes much deeper than whether or not you kill people for a living. How do you feel about being an assassin? I asked. I'm good at what I do, she said, but I have to carry the burden that goes along with it. That's the hard part, she explained. She said she had killed people while she worked for the CIA, but working for the corporation was different. She said that to prepare for her assignments, she had to get to know every detail about her targets. Sometimes what she found out would make it easier to kill them, but most of the time it did the opposite. 
The people she killed weren't terrorists or criminals. They were often just regular people who happened to know things that threatened the corporation's power. She said she doesn't know why she kept doing it. She knew it would have been difficult to get out, but she could have found a way. She said something just kept pulling her in that direction, despite the emotional burden it placed on her and despite the lives it cost. I told her, even if you hadn't killed those people, they would have found someone else to do it. She shrugged. But that doesn't make it any less wrong, she said. Even if this is part of some divine plan, does that make it right to have killed dozens of innocent people? It's something I can't wrap my head around either. Is this a situation where the ends justify the means, or could another path have brought Adrian and me together? Or maybe Adrian, having killed those people, served some greater purpose that fits within the multi-life storylines of everyone involved. Perhaps the souls of the people Adrian killed had planned for that to take place in their lives, perhaps even collaborating with Adrian's soul between lives to facilitate that circumstance. Perhaps it was a karmic sacrifice or part of a lesson their soul needed to learn, a lesson that carried over into the surviving friends and family of the deceased. Perhaps for them to achieve what they were meant to achieve in this life, they needed to endure the hardship of tragically losing someone close to them. There are too many moving parts to make sense of it all. Maybe in the time between our next lives we'll learn what it all means, I said. Maybe, she said, but until then I have to do whatever it takes to bring down the corporation, not only to help save humanity, but to avenge the deaths of those I killed. Adrian often has sleepless nights as she wrestles with these truths, but last night was a little different. During the night she awoke when she saw me get out of bed around 2 a.m., she said she followed me out to the living room where I sat down and started to write on the back page of one of the documents she had acquired from the corporation. She asked me what I was doing, and to her surprise it wasn't me who responded. It was Edgar. She said it was very different talking to Edgar than myself. She said he had an accent that she couldn't place, and his mannerisms were not at all like mine. Even though it was the same body, there was clearly someone else inside. Adrian said Edgar wasn't surprised to see her there, that he had been expecting this part of the story to unfold. He told her about his time between lives in which Adrian's soul had been present and participating in the planning of the new version of my life. Adrian asked him about his current life. He told her, as you will hear in his letter, that he was happily married in his new world. She asked him whether or not he thinks his wife is her reincarnated soul. He said he thinks so, as the same soul that planned to be with me in my life had also planned to be with him in his. However, the beings of light intentionally didn't share many of those details with him, so he wasn't certain. With all the changes in his life lately, he said he couldn't be certain of anything, really. It's a moving target, he told Adrian. He did confirm, though, that she is the person I need to help practice the rituals. He said she would have an important role in the transformation of humanity. Adrian asked him what exactly it was that she would have to do, but he said he wasn't given any details about that part of the plan. He only told her that she would know when it presented itself. Until then, it was important for her to practice the rituals so that she would be ready when the time comes. Adrian said she wasn't able to talk with Edgar as long as she wanted. He told her he needed to finish writing the letter before I woke up. He didn't want to interfere with this reality any more than necessary because he wasn't sure what unintended consequences could manifest if he stuck around any longer than was planned. 
He was clearly a man on a mission, and he wasn't going to let even his soulmate in a past life keep him from following through. I don't know if I would have had the same resolve. Adrian let me sleep through the remainder of the night, and I read the letter after I awoke this morning. This is what it said. Dear Adam, I am happy to see that you have found Adrian and that you both are safe. I can now tell you about what else transpired in my journey between our lives. Adrian's soul was also present in the planning of the new path for your life and hers. She is indeed your soulmate, and you have shared many lives together in the past. In some of these lives you have been lovers, and in others, family members or close friends. Both of your present lives have changed significantly from their original version. In the version of your life in which you didn't receive these letters, you still would have met each other, but in entirely different circumstances. In case you haven't realized it yet, Adrian is the person with whom you must share the rituals. You must help her to bring the rituals into her daily life, as she will play a pivotal role in setting the course of humanity back on track. She can only do this if she practices the rituals and finds the balance that the rituals will bring her. It is up to you to help her achieve that balance. Another of the reasons you were chosen to share the rituals with the world is because of your soulmate relationship with Adrian. Your two souls complement and bring out the best in each other. You can help her achieve what she is meant to achieve in this life, and she can do the same for you. I should also let you know that soulmate relationships can have profound effects on the development of the soul, and because of this they often challenge us on a deep level. These relationships push us outside our comfort zones and help our souls avoid stagnation. Our soulmates often help us to learn the hardest lessons in life. I tell you this so that you know your relationship with Adrian will not be without struggle, but it will help each of you become the person you are meant to become. I am already deeply indebted to you for what you have done to change the course of humanity as it affects my world on both a global and personal level. In the world in which I lived prior to the first letter, I never would have imagined being able to fall in love and have a family, but when I returned to my life after my last letter, I was overwhelmed with positive emotion as I had a wife and two children waiting for me. I also had new memories of the years we shared together. My wife, Rona, is an amazing woman and works as a psychiatrist at the organization where we are both employed. We met nine years ago, and I've been falling in love with her more and more ever since. Our twin children, Zach and Zara, are six years old, and I'm brought to tears thinking about how blessed I am to have such a beautiful family. I told Rona about you and the work we are doing. She understands the importance of our mission, but she struggled when it came time for me to leave to write another letter. She told me that she would never truly see me again after I left, and she's right. We'll each be a completely different version of ourselves when I return. But I told her that we must have faith that the new world I return to will be even better than the last. I would be lying if I said it was easy for me to leave her. Even though I've only been with my wife and children for a few months since my last letter, my new memories make it feel like I've been in this version of the world my whole life. I can only hope that Rona and my children will be there in the next version as well. Not only is my personal world so amazingly different, so is the world outside. Individuals all across the globe are now striving to lead meaningful lives, 
as humanity is motivated by a sense of purpose toward working together to make the world a better place. I have gone from a world of mindless existence to a world of conflict and now to a world of compassion and hope. When humanity acts in this manner, nothing can stand in its way. People are asking difficult questions of themselves and each other in an attempt to derive meaning from their lives and the work they do. They are holding each other accountable out of a sense of mutual respect that I have not seen in previous versions of my world. As for my own work, I am still with the same organization that I described in my last letter, only now our work focuses on learning more about a unique subset of individuals in our world. We call these individuals awakened beings, and I can only assume they are the start of the conscious awakening I learned about in my time between lives. They look like normal human beings, but their consciousness operates at a higher level. You can immediately perceive this when interacting with them, and their brainwaves confirm it as they produce completely different frequencies of thought compared to ordinary people. Much like my previous life's work with psychedelics, these individuals can see and experience the substructure of reality. The difference is that they can do this at will, without the use of mind-altering substances. They frequently express how all things are connected as one, and this perspective makes them tremendously empathic and compassionate toward others. They also have a special ability to communicate with anyone without verbally speaking to them. It's a kind of mind reading or telepathy, but they only use this ability for good and don't do it with anyone who doesn't want to communicate this way. However, as you might expect, this ability has the potential to be used maliciously. Even though my world is far improved, it's not a perfect world by any means. There continues to exist a powerful group of people who are likely the remnants of what you and Adrian have identified as the corporation. This group continues to attempt to regain power and control over the world's population. They view awakened beings as both a threat and a potential weapon. They have abducted many of them, attempted to turn them, and when that fails, they have executed them. In addition to our research, my organization works to protect awakened beings from the corporation. There's something else. I haven't shared this with you yet, but each time I return to the future, we are both becoming increasingly famous. It seems that the first letters and podcast episodes affected the future in more indirect ways, which rippled into more profound effects over time. Now the podcast is having a more direct effect, as it is well known throughout my world. People are beginning to know who I am as well as who you are. This puts my safety at risk as the corporation may try to either stop me or attempt to steal my technology for traveling back through consciousness. So much like you, I now live with my family in a secret location. If they find me, our ability to carry out our mission will be threatened. Because of this, I have decided to share the details of the mission with my wife, Rona. I suspect she is the reincarnation of Adrian's consciousness, so if anything happens to me, my hope is that she can use the device and travel back into Adrian's consciousness to relay the next letters, and perhaps also bring about a new future in which I am back at home with her. It's a very unpredictable thing, and while I'm tempted to just write all the remaining letters to you now, I distinctly remember that my instructions were to write each ritual in a separate letter. I don't think I should start improvising at this point. 
There are too many unknowns in both our realities to think that we can start messing with fate. In case Rona does go back and it's not into Adrian's consciousness, it is important that she be able to find you. Adrian has given me the location of where you are staying, and I will share this information with Rona so that she knows where to find you if she needs to. I have also determined that after the last letter is written, whether by me or Rona, we will destroy the device. If the device falls into the wrong hands, everything we have done could be undone and perhaps made worse. It is too powerful a technology, and there is no way to ensure it won't fall into the wrong hands. Even without that potential, I see no reason for myself or anyone else to ever use the device again, considering that even with the best intentions, it presents tremendous potential for unintended consequences. I'll share with you now the next ritual. The third ritual is the air ritual. This ritual is about the invisible energy fields that blanket the air all around you. Some of these fields are natural and beneficial, but most of them in your world are artificial fields. These include radio frequency fields from cell phones and other wireless devices, as well as electric and magnetic fields from the power grid. The natural fields produced by the earth are synchronized to the same vibrational frequencies produced by the body. When the body's frequencies are tuned to the Earth's frequencies, the body is able to achieve a state of coherence. This state of coherence is necessary for the mind to operate at its highest potential. However, the artificial fields present in your environment disrupt this coherence and alter the natural frequencies of the body and the mind. This drains the body's battery that is fueled by the sun and water, making it difficult for the mind to function at its optimal level. This disruption and loss of energy has negative effects on the basic functions of the human brain, including difficulty thinking and impaired mood. The biggest effect, however, is that it prevents the more subtle functions of the mind from working at all. These subtle functions are those of intuition and instinct. They are the forces of the mind that go beyond reason and logic. They allow us to connect with a deeper reality, helping us to make better choices and decisions. When these subtle functions are blocked by artificial fields, it is much like trying to make wise choices while impaired by drugs or alcohol. There is no way to remove these artificial fields entirely from your life. Even if you stopped using them yourself, you'd still be exposed to the fields created by those around you. But you can exponentially reduce your exposure with some basic changes in how you use these technologies. It is especially important to reduce your exposure while you sleep, as sleep is the time when we rely on the subtle functions of the mind the most. These subtle functions are what create our dreams, and whether we realize it or not, it is our dreams that guide our waking life. You will find much about the effects of man-made fields in your scientific literature. As with the previous rituals, this knowledge has been suppressed by powerful individuals and organizations. Telecommunications and technology industries are extremely powerful in your time and have great control over your world's population. Only by disconnecting from these technologies can you regain control over your own life and consciousness. The air ritual is to minimize your exposure to artificial fields so that you can achieve a state of coherence. I or Rona will write again soon. Take care of Adrian. She needs you. And of course, take care of yourself.
Yours, Edgar. It's really cool that Edgar got to meet Adrian. It's exciting enough to introduce someone you care about to your family or friends, but it's another thing entirely to have them meet your reincarnated self in another life. I'm also happy for Edgar that he now has a wife and children. I hope he is reunited with them in the next version of his life. If Rona is indeed Adrian in her next life, it may work out to our advantage. Let's just hope it doesn't come to that. Edgar was right about there being much information already written about artificial fields. I've come across countless research studies demonstrating the biological effects of non-native electromagnetic radiation. There's also a large amount of industry-funded research that tries to muddy the waters. When the independent research shows harmful effects and the corporate research shows no effect, what conclusions do you think we should draw? It's really amazing that considering the amount of evidence compiled over decades of research, there's still the common belief that anyone who tries to limit their exposure to artificial fields is a tinfoil hat-wearing lunatic. There's clearly a massive disconnect between the science and the mainstream perspective, and it's no surprise that this is caused by the propaganda machine of industry and government, which both view these technologies not only as a gold mine, but also a perfect way to exert control over the world's population. Essentially, almost every human on the planet carries with them a mind control device in their pocket, and they do so willingly. The longer this happens, the less likely we'll be able to perceive the effect these frequencies have on our consciousness. It is also becoming more difficult to do controlled research on the health effects of these frequencies since everyone has already been exposed at such high levels. Much of the research on exposure to artificial fields shows that it triggers both cellular and physiological stress responses in the body. There is evidence that it causes DNA damage, which may lead to the development of cancer. It also impairs heart rate variability, which indicates a stress response by the autonomic nervous system. Research also shows that exposure can alter brain function, resulting in impaired memory and mood, which Edgar mentioned in the letter. High exposure can also cause infertility, so you may want to think twice about carrying your cell phone in your pocket if you're planning to have kids. One of the mechanisms behind these negative health effects is that electromagnetic fields activate voltage-gated calcium channels within cells, leading to an increase in intracellular calcium and many negative downstream effects. These effects include oxidative stress and impaired brain and heart function. I'm only scratching the surface on the health risks associated with electromagnetic fields, but even if the evidence stopped here, there's clearly a need to at least take a precautionary approach with our exposure. But that's set aside for a moment both the scientific evidence and what Edgar said in the letter and pretend that there isn't enough evidence of harm from non-native electromagnetic fields to warrant changing our behavior. Now ask yourself, how much evidence would you need to make the decision to change your behavior? What would it take? Would you just wait until the government or industry make changes to protect you? Or would you take the initiative to protect yourself? If you decide to wait for someone else to do it, you're probably going to be too late. What I'm saying is that we all need to take responsibility and think critically about these things. Seize that power within yourself. Part of that process is to recognize that this ritual, like the others, is about reconnecting us with nature. The fire ritual reconnects us with natural light, the water ritual with natural water, 
and the air ritual with natural energy fields. Over the past hundred years or so, we've messed around with light, water, and electromagnetism without regard for any possible negative consequences. Who are we to think that we know better than Mother Nature? The natural fields of the Earth include the Earth's magnetic field and the Schumann resonance. The Schumann resonance is an extremely low-frequency field created by the energy from lightning strikes that fill the space between the Earth's surface and the ionosphere. Research has shown that the frequencies of the Schumann resonance and the human brain are very similar. There seems to be a natural tendency for the brain's frequencies to synchronize with the Schumann resonance. This synchronization has many health benefits, including regulation of the body's circadian rhythm. However, exposure to artificial fields, which have much higher power densities than the natural frequencies of the Earth, can impair the body's ability to sense and achieve coherence with the Schumann resonance. It's scary to think that even if you had unlimited wealth and resources and made every effort, you still wouldn't be able to completely avoid exposure to artificial fields. But the air ritual is one of minimization rather than complete avoidance, and you can make lifestyle changes that exponentially reduce your exposure levels. This has been something I've been trying to do over the years, and like with the other rituals, I will now become even more vigilant about it. Electromagnetic field strength follows an inverse square law, so that as you increase your distance away from any source of radiation, you decrease the field strength of your exposure by the inverse square of the increase in distance. This means that even small increases in distance will exponentially reduce the strength of the field to which you are exposed. The first step in reducing your exposure is to consider everything that happens within a few feet of you throughout the day. If you are carrying a cell phone in your pocket all day, that is probably your highest exposure source. The best option is to get rid of the phone altogether. I recognize that you probably think this is impossible, but do understand that your attachment to your cell phone is an addiction. The phone's hardware and software has been designed in a way to frequently stimulate the dopamine reward system within your brain. You can try to reduce your use, but just like with other addictions, it may be best to quit cold turkey. If you are going to keep your cell phone, you can do things like use speakerphone rather than holding it up to your head during calls. You can also keep your phone in airplane mode when you carry it in your pocket. You might also want to go through your phone and delete as many of the apps as possible. Over time, you may find that you're using your phone less and less, and maybe one day you can just get rid of it completely. I realize that many of you are listening to this podcast on your cell phone. If you're going to do that, your best option is to download the episodes and then listen to them in airplane mode. You are probably also exposed to radio frequency fields from wireless technologies like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Although these fields are typically not as strong as cell phone fields, they can still be problematic, especially at close proximity. Your best option is to use a wired internet connection and to use your devices in airplane mode. Also consider the electric grid, which presents issues with both the electric current and smart meters. Smart meters use radio frequencies to communicate with the electric company about your energy usage. You can call your electric company to determine if you have a smart meter, and if so, request they replace it with an analog version. They may or may not be amenable to such a request. If you're forced to have a smart meter, there are ways to reduce your exposure, which include avoiding spending time in rooms near the meter. It is unwise, for example, to have the head of your bed on the wall opposite the meter. 
With any field exposure, it can be useful to measure the fields you're exposed to instead of just guessing. There are many devices available that measure radio frequency fields as well as electric and magnetic fields. Accurate testing is a critical step to reducing your exposure. Without testing, it can be challenging and often unpredictable to know your exposure level. Regarding the electric power grid, the good news is that these fields do not travel as far as radio frequency fields. The bad news is that high exposure to electric fields can cause just as many, if not more, negative health effects. Generally, you want to keep at least a few feet away from electric devices, as well as wires, cords, and outlets. Remember that many electrical wires run through walls and floors, so testing your environment is important. As Edgar said, the most critical time to minimize your exposure is at night while you sleep. Make sure to do a thorough check of your bedroom to measure your field exposure. You might need to consider moving your bed to another room. Definitely consider what is on the other side of the wall at the head of your bed. You don't want things like a smart meter, breaker box, refrigerator, or Wi-Fi router anywhere near you while you sleep. And please do not sleep with your cell phone in your bedroom. Some people even keep their phone under their pillow while they sleep. Definitely don't do that. If you must have a cell phone in your bedroom while you sleep, put it in airplane mode at night. The same goes for Wi-Fi. If you aren't ready to give up Wi-Fi yet, you can at least turn off the router at night while you sleep. The same applies to the electricity in your bedroom. At the very least, unplug any electric devices near you while you sleep, such as lamps or electric blankets. It is important to unplug such devices because even when they are turned off, they often still carry an electric current. You probably don't need any electricity in your bedroom while you sleep, so your best option might be to turn off the breaker to your bedroom at night. If you're ready to take the next step in limiting your exposure, you might consider moving to an area with low population density so that you're not exposed to the higher field strength that comes with urban environments. When evaluating a new residence, consider its proximity to power lines and cell towers. As new mobile technologies develop, it will become more and more difficult to get away from these fields. Even though it may be discouraging to see these changes in the environment, remember that there's still a lot that is within your control that you can do to limit your exposure. I'll post additional information and resources pertaining to the air ritual on my website at awakethefuture.com air. Well, now I know Adrian is the person who I need to help practice the rituals. I've already begun doing so, and Adrian told me she has noticed a shift in her mind, a sense of clarity since she started practicing them. She says she feels a sense of hope she's never felt before. She has always made the best of whatever life threw at her, but she never saw a light at the end of the tunnel like she does now. She says she thinks the rituals are helping her to develop a new perspective. Adrian and I talked about what it might be that she would need to do in her life to help bring about the transformation of humanity. She predicts that it has something to do with bringing down the corporation. Whatever it is, we both feel a monumental sense of responsibility in our lives and the immense pressure that goes along with that. Edgar was right. We need each other. I'm glad neither of us has to go about trying to do this alone. Before I close, I want to let you know that Adrian and I are planning a special mission, something risky. Adrian has actually been having a recurring dream about it. She had the same dream three times already. In it, she sees the two of us held at gunpoint by a group of men in suits, but each time she wakes up before she finds out what happens next. She feels it might be some kind of premonition, but it isn't going to stop us from carrying out our mission. 
However, the dream has prompted Adrian to adjust the plan so that it doesn't put us at unnecessary risk. She says she doesn't see any reason to put us in a situation where both of us could end up being held at gunpoint, and if one of us is going to take that risk, it should be the trained assassin and not the nutritionist. I don't know how this mission will go, so I'm telling you this just in case things don't go as planned. I don't think this will be the last episode, but even if only three rituals make it public, it's clear to me we can still make a significant impact on the world. Continue to practice the rituals. Continue to share this message. Hopefully I'll be back soon with another letter and maybe some other exciting news as well. Talk to you soon.